Welcome back to the SOS Podcast. I'm Paul White, Editor-in-Chief of Sound on Sound magazine, and I'm joined by Technical Editor Hugh Rob-Johns. Hello. And News Editor Chris Mays-Wright. Hello. In the August issue of Sound on Sound, we've got reviews of the Event Opal loudspeakers and the SSL X-Desk, and we'll be discussing those later on in this podcast. Also, we'll be hearing from SOS Podcast Correspondent and Features Editor Sam Ingalls about how you can enrol on a world-class music course for absolutely nothing. But first, let's take a look at some of the new products recently released. First up, Shaw, who've been making microphones for donkey's years, have launched two new ribbon mics that are based on the designs of Crowley and Trip, a microphone brand they acquired earlier this year. The KSM-313 is their version of the Naked Eye Roswellite, and the KSM-353 is their iteration of the El Diablo. Hugh, you reviewed the El Diablo in its Crowley and Trip days. Tell us a bit about it. Sure. It's a really impressive mic. The interesting thing about the whole Crowley and Trip thing is this Roswellite um, stuff which they use as the, the diaphragm membrane. It's some carbon nanomaterial. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, technological development of, of carbon, essentially, is these carbon nanotubes. Uh, the big advantage of them is that it makes the thing incredibly robust. And uh, they've got some amazing videos uh, showing how strong this material is, where a normal aluminium ribbon would just tear itself to shreds. This stuff is incredibly robust, and it has a kind of memory effect so that it always goes back to its original shape, even if you deform it, which allows you to do really daft things like putting a ribbon mic inside a kick drum or in front of a a powerful guitar amp, that kind of thing. Um, And you still get a fabulous sound. It's still as light as an aluminium uh, diaphragm would be. You get the same kind of frequency response. All the things that you value a ribbon for, but in a very robust format. I, I guess, I mean, Crowley and Trip, uh, the, the holding company, the company behind Crowley and Trip, are really into medical equipment. They're into uh, very sophisticated uh, medical science That's technologies. sound wave research. Sound wave research, exactly. And um, I guess the whole microphone thing was a kind of sideline to them. It's not core business. So probably selling it on to, to Shaw makes a lot of commercial sense from that point of view. Slightly disappointed with the way the prices have gone up. But whether that's because of the pound exchange rate or or part of that whole buy everything, I don't know. I mean, that makes them slightly less good value than they once were. Yeah, certainly in the UK, the the prices shot up a bit. In the UK, the the 353, which is the El Diablo, um, costs £3,105. Or in the US, it's $3,320. The 313, which is Shaw's version of the Naked Eye Roswellite, costs £1,374 in the UK and £1,560 in the US. Um, so yeah, there are some price discrepancies there, but yeah. hopefully, um, hopefully things will level out over time. I think so. I think that's just what, sort of an interim problem, really. I mean, the, the microphones are very impressive, but it's hard to justify them at that sort of price at the moment. And sure, have bought all the the tooling and everything to uh, create more of the mics, obviously from Crowley and Trip. Do you think we'll have more mics from Shaw that weren't seen in the Crowley and Trip range? Yeah, I'm sure there's there's lots of opportunities for further development there, and I think Shaw must have bought into it with that in mind. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting future there. Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of opportunities to use this Roswell-like material in more low-end microphones, the kind of thing that uh, you might use live, for example. Could be, although I imagine it's probably a relatively expensive material to work with. But uh, yeah, yeah, you, but you don't right. need many square metres of it to make a mic. That is true. You can find out more about the KSM-313 and the KSM-353 on the SOS news pages and at shaw.com. <laughs> Also new is the Focusrite Sapphire Pro 24 DSP, which is a follow-on from the Sapphire Pro 24, which is reviewed in this month's Sound on Sound. 
The new DSP version has an intriguing virtual reference monitoring system on board, which enables a user to place themselves in simulations of different mixing environments, so they can mix at night or without disturbing the neighbours, for example. Paul, what are your feelings about this? Obviously, I understand you haven't listened to this yet. Well, I'd have to hear it to uh, to know how well it works. But in theory, using convolution to give you the experience of working in a real room and with real monitors as opposed to headphones can bring about some improvements. But uh, as I said, until I've actually tried it, I don't know how well it works. But it's intriguing. And if it does work, it answers a lot of questions for those people who are trying to work late at night without annoying the neighbours. So uh, good luck to them. And I suppose on the train or if they're on a plane mixing a project or something like that, that that would help in those respects. Equally so, yes. Yeah, there are some variables in this, obviously, because the quality, the ultimate quality of the sound is going to depend on the headphones you're using. Uh, And obviously Focusrite can't uh, prescribe what you're using, so there's a bit of vagueness about that aspect to it. But one of the big problems when you're mixing on headphones, of course, is, is this whole thing where the sound stage is effectively built on a line between your ears inside your head. Um, and that is obviously very unnatural, and it does make it difficult to pan things into position and to judge balances of some things. I don't know about this particular system, because obviously I've not used it either, but experience of similar virtual modelling kind of systems, Studa did one called BRS that never actually made it to uh, to a production product, but I, I played with the prototypes of that a lot. Um, Bayer have a system, the Headzone, um, for example, and they, they all have the ability to make the sound appear to be in front of you, or in, in the case of some of the surround models, all around you in a much more natural way. So from that point of view, it might make it a little bit easier to do mixing and to judge it in a similar way to the way it would on speakers. Certainly an interesting idea. Look forward to playing with it. Also new, but not really a product as such, is Abbey Road Studios' online mastering service. Basically, it's a web service where you can submit your track over the internet and have it mastered by one of Abbey Road's in-house mastering engineers. Not just the tape op or the guy who makes the tea, by the way. And it's done in one of their mastering suites. Prices start at £90 per track, and vinyl cutting services are also available. So that sounds pretty intriguing, and it's one way of getting Abbey Road on your album sleeve. Yeah, it, they, they do some, some other um, services, like, as you mentioned, vinyl cutting, but they'll also give you disc image files so you can take it to a duplication house. Um, and there are, there are other bolt-ons that you can do with Abbey Road. But yeah, the basic price is £90 a track, which, when you think of it, isn't that expensive. There are some um, some cheaper services out there, but as you say, the prestige of having Abbey Road on your album sleeve is probably worth that. Yeah, I guess there is some prestige with, with the whole Abbey Road EMI uh, label idea. Um, and as you say, there's also a lot of companies out there now that do offer this kind of offline uh, mastering service. Um, Personally, I, I, it's difficult to know, really. I, I think mastering is a very personal thing. Um, and often there's a lot to be gained from having a rapport between yourself and the mastering engineer and making sure that he understands what you want out of your track and you understand what he can and can't do. And obviously you're going to lose some of that uh, if you're doing it remotely in this sort of way. But these guys are amongst the best in the, in the world, obviously, and uh, they know what they're doing. So, yeah, interesting, interesting move. Also in the news, Arteria are celebrating their 10th birthday with their 10-year suite, a huge bundle of soft synths that costs €549. You get a lot of stuff in that, so it's worth looking at. Certainly do. Audio Mulch, which the designers describe as audio mangling software, which appeals to me, uh, is now available on the Mac, thanks to the launch of version 2. Yeah, and SoundPros, who provide online session musicians, have launched a number for UK customers. It's a customer support number, and it is... 0208196 It's a London number which is automatically redirected to their California studios, so is only open between the hours of 4pm and 11pm UK time. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. 
It's time for Sound Advice now, the part of the podcast where we answer your studio questions. First up, John Crowell asks, what are the benefits of using an analogue mixer with a door system? Well, there are two ways you can use an analogue mixer with a door, really. You could use it as a front end, and instead of buying separate mic amps or an interface that has its own mic amps, use the ones in the mixer. Then feed the various mixer outputs, assuming it's got sufficient for your needs, into the inputs of your interface, and off you go. You could use the EQ on the mixer, and if you've got hardware compressors that you want to use as you're recording, you can plug them into the mixer insert points. But I think most people now are starting to get interested in using the mixer for actually mixing what's coming out of the door. Uh, what do you think about that, Hugh? Yeah, I'm in two minds about it, to be honest. Um, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and from that point of view, I like the idea of a mixing console. It's, it's familiar, it's practical, it's easy to work with. Um, and certainly, you know, I don't have a problem with the idea of using the analogue mixer as the mix-down process, because you do get a slightly different sound character that way often compared to mixing in the box. But the thing you do lose is all the automation, which is included in the door as standard. And to add that onto a separate analogue mixer becomes complicated and expensive. So it's it's kind of swings and roundabouts for me. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, that's the one thing that's put me off, is that when I'm doing commercial work, people come back and they want to recreate exactly what they did last September. And with an analogue mixer, it's kind of hard to do that. Even if you take a digital picture of the control surface and save it with a song file, you may have outboard connected to it, mm. which could be an issue. Um, but of course, you could just use it as a combining mixer and just set all the faders at Unity and use it as a, as a, a summing mixer. Uh, you might say, why buy a, a full-fledged analogue mixer to do that when you could buy a summing mixer? But in reality, there are lots of cheaper full-function analogue mixers around now than there are summing mixers, because summing mixers tend to be quite esoteric and esoterically priced. True, true. Um, as far as the automation goes, there is um, there is a new box from Audient called the Zen, Zen Mixer, which is essentially the same as their big uh, 8024 console, same same electronics, same same circuitry, um, but condensed into a 16-channel mixer with moving fader automation um, and the MIDI facilities to tie that up with your door. So essentially you use some spare tracks on your door to store the MIDI automation for those faders, but you do all the mixing itself inside the console. No EQ on that console, um, but other than that, it's a, it's a very impressive little device. That might be a useful thing to look at. It is. Uh, the, the thing that you don't manage to store is the setup for your external hardware. And one of the reasons a lot of people want to use mixers is because they've got some nice compressors or equalizers they want to patch in. So I think it's always going to be a compromise. You either get full convenience if you mix everything inside the box, or you get some perceived sonic benefits by using a mixer. And you get the ability to patch in all those old bits of analog kit you've got in your cupboard. Sure. But you, you lose some of the recallability of it all. Unless you go down the lines of something like the SSL matrix that has all that routing built in and, and uh, memorizable. Is that a real word? Storable. It, anyway. it probably is. Yeah. It is now. Yeah. Although it still doesn't necessarily store the front panel settings of your outboard gear. That's true. So you're still taking pictures or writing stuff down. So you can never get away from it, can you? No. In fact, uh, one tip for this is if you do have to make notes, is you just open up another audio track in your door and just recite all the settings into it. Yeah, and, yeah, I've done and, that. And as long as you don't leave that running when you're mixing, remember to mute it. It should work <laughs> fine. <laughs> or take photographs and store those in the project file. I've done that too. Yeah. Okay. Peter from Brixton asks, what is plug-in delay compensation and why do I need it? Well, if you have a plug-in delay, uh, you can apply to the government for a rebate. And, and no, it's, it's, no, no. It's a little like the winter fuel allowance, but it's called plug-in delay compensation. You're talking you rubbish. Tax Come on. credits for it. Tell the man what he needs to know. Plug-in delay compensation. For a start, we need to know what plug-in delay is. 
all plugins cause some kind of a delay due to the internal processing, which could be just a few samples, or it could be several hundreds or even thousands of samples if it's something like a, a zero-phase equaliser or a long convolution process. Now, if you just put that into a channel and don't compensate anything, you find that the audio coming from that particular mixer channel is now late compared to all the others, and the timing of your mix is off. Most doors have what's called plug-in delay compensation, so that even if there's nothing plugged into a channel, it uh, will be automatically delayed to be in time with whatever plug-in is causing the longest delay, so that when you mix, everything is in phase, sample accurate all the way through, regardless of how many or what type of plug-ins are inserted where. It gets more complicated when you start to put these into send and return loops and into buses, but again, most of the uh, modern doors, with the exception of the entry-level Pro Tools, um, look after all this for you automatically now. On test. In the August issue of Sound on Sound, Paul reviews the event Opal Active Near Field Monitors. The manufacturer's event made some pretty bold claims about these. So, Paul, do they live up to the hype? Yeah, the Opal is a, a, an interesting speaker because um, it's very different to what Event have produced in the past. And I think this is because uh, Event were bought out as a company by Rode, the microphone company, who promptly discontinued all the sort of value-for-money, cheap-and-cheerful event speakers and threw a lot of R&D into the Opal, which has turned out to be a very serious speaker indeed. It's um, quite expensive at about £2,500 in the UK, but it's certainly an impressive piece of kit in fact, I'm using a pair here, and, and I think they're as good as anything I've tried in this kind of style, really, in terms of active two-ways. Um, I don't know what you think of them, Hugh. I've not listened to them since uh, since they've gone into production. I heard a, a pre-production version. Um, I actually went out, I was invited to go out to the launch party for them in, in Las Vegas last year, which was an interesting event in itself. Uh, the speakers are very impressive. I mean, these are the flagship uh, product for event, and it's a complete ground-up new design Um Peter got some some very good engineers into event to to design these things. Um, there are, as I understand it, there's a couple of smaller models that that are going to follow it on that use one of them uses the same drive units but in a slightly simpler wooden cabinet instead of this diecast aluminium one. Um, and there's a smaller version again that uses slightly different drivers in another wooden cabinet. So using very similar ideas but in a much more cost effective form. And they'll obviously be the sort of bulk sellers, I guess. Um, these things, if I remember rightly, these are designed to be as good as a three-way design, even though they're only a two-way design. And he's done that by a uh, very clever drive unit design, very clever way of integrating them, uh, very sophisticated amplifier systems. And uh, they are quite impressive things. Yes, they've done a few novel things with the low-frequency driver. It's got a split-coil system where part of the voice coil is stationary and wrapped around the magnet, and the rest of it is moving as you would expect. And they're out of phase with each other, so effectively they push each other apart as the thing's operating, and it results in a very fast transient response even for the low-frequency driver. And I must say, I've not heard such deep, tight bass from anything this size for a long time, if ever. Mm. No, they're very good. It's a ported uh, system. It's, it's front-ported. There's slots, vertical slots down each side. Um, and I think the tweeter is beryllium, isn't it? I believe it is. Yes, but yeah, certainly very impressive. Um, and just listening to here briefly now with Paul, it, um, it's immediately obvious that they are very good speakers. Of course, at that kind of price point, there's some serious competition. You know, the names of ATC and PMC and, and all those kind of people uh, come up immediately when you start talking that kind of price. Uh, but the fact that they're competing on that market it, is quite impressive in itself, I think. Mm. I think it was incredibly brave of Event to do that in the first place because, of course, most people start off with a flagship product and then they work down and do the spin-offs and they trade on the name of the flagship product, whereas 
with this event range they've um, started off with a known brand which was good value and then they've completely binned that and, and started again with a high-end range, which seems an extraordinary thing to do. But if anything's going to draw a new line in the sand, I think these Opals are going to do that. Mm, I think so. On test. Also in this issue of Sound on Sound is the review of the SSL X-Desk, the smallest ever SSL console built. Hugh, you took a look at this one. Tell us all about it. Yes, I have had a look at it. It's very nice. Mike Senior has done the main part of the review, and I looked at it to give a kind of second opinion box, really. Um, very impressive little console, obviously designed to work with the X-Rack uh, module system and with the X-Logic uh, rack mounting preamps and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, really nice little desk. It looks like an SSL in small scale. Um, very easy to use, very logical workflow through the thing, very flexible signal path, um, nice monitoring section. Slight shame about the talkback uh, facility where the microphone is mounted immediately above the speaker dimming relay. So every time you activate the talkback, you get this sort of ping sound as the relay flips across, which I find quite amusing. But that aside, and it's only a very minor point, really nice desk. Like it a lot. So it's basically a line level summing mixer with lots of routing and and daisy chaining. It's entirely line level. So if you want mic preamps, you have to do that externally, either using the X-Logic boxes or the X-Rack modules. Um, does a lot of summing it's got some um effects bus sends um there's a q send for driving headphones there's a, an aux send for driving external outboard and stuff um some fairly simple metering uh, simple but reasonably well equipped monitoring section um nice the faders are very light lighter than i would have liked personally but but very effective easy to use uh, full length uh, throw on the things which makes mixing very straightforward um yeah nice desk so good for project studios and things like that yeah, anybody who's working with a door system um, but wants some kind of outboard, a high-quality outboard mixer, um, obviously the specs are beyond compare. It's, the, it's all the standard super analog circuitry, so very high-quality, very transparent electronics. Um, and if you just like a little bit of hands-on mixing, then, yeah, perfect solution. And you can cascade them as well. So You, get- you can. There are facilities in there too to link several of them together if you needed a bigger system. Um, and you can get at all the various mix buses and inserts and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. In June, you may have seen us at the London International Music Show, or LIMS, where we were hosting seminars and offering some cracking subscription deals. So I hope you signed up, because they were really, really good. We also had the prizes for the second annual LIMS Dream Studio giveaway on display there, at the back of the Sound on Sound booth. And uh, there's a bank of computers there where anybody coming and visiting the show could enter their details to enter the contest. Well, that was all a month ago now. And since then, we've picked the lucky prize winner. So we need a drum roll, please. And the winner is... Dramatic pause. Craig Selwood from Newport in Wales. Well done, Craig. Congratulations. We'll be visiting Craig in the coming weeks to install his prize and to make sure everything works properly. So keep an eye out on the brand new SOS TV section of the website and on the SOS YouTube channel for more coverage and to ogle over all his new gear. We'd love to list all the gear, but that would take a podcast in its own right. So uh, you'll just have to wait until we do the install to see what he's won. But there's lots and lots and lots of really cool stuff. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. Finally, as promised at the top of the podcast, here's SOS Features Editor Sam Ingalls to tell us why he's getting excited about the E-word. Over to you, Sam. Thanks, Chris. It's been education, education, education in the world of music technology these past few years. It seems like every college in the country now offers an MSc in comparative MIDI or a BDIP in cowbell programming. And if you want to study, you've got some hard choices ahead of you. Studio or live sound, full-time or part-time, state-funded or private. 
and whatever you choose, it's likely to represent a serious financial commitment. However, even if you're not in the market for conventional further or higher education, it's worth taking a look at the Red Bull Music Academy, because it's something completely unique. Every year, the Academy takes over an unused building in a city somewhere in the world. They stuff it full of studio gear, and they mine their context book to bring in a stellar collection of musicians and producers as guest lecturers. And the best part is that everything is completely free. They'll fly you out, put you up, feed you. You might even get the chance to play a gig with your musical hero. All they ask of you is two weeks of your time. It's open to musicians and producers from all over the world, so as you'd expect, there's a lot of competition for places, but you've really got nothing to lose by having a go. And in 2010, the Academy is coming to London. The application phase is taking place right now, and there are also lots of events planned for the city in the run-up to the 2010 Academy. To find out more about these, watch videos from previous years, and get your application in, hop to redbullmusicacademy.com and tell them I sent you. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. That's it for the SOS podcast. Don't forget that the August issue is now in the shops and be sure to visit the SOS TV pages on the website to see our coverage from Summer Now in Nashville. You're off to Nashville, Paul. Anything exciting you're looking forward to? Oh, I'm looking forward to not buying a new guitar because I don't actually need one. But, ah. uh, no, it's always good because um, the products turn up when you least expect them, you know. You look around some of the smaller booths where the new startup companies are pitching things and you always find something amazing. You also find something really improbable on occasions too. But uh, touch wood, I hope we'll see something interesting there. And Chris, you're going as well. What are you looking forward to? Well, obviously the trip to Fork's Drum Closet, the best drum shop in the world, in my opinion. Uh, And also we're going to be going to do a video at Blackbird Studios. Sounds excellent. Look forward to seeing that. (laughs) 